This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. It's a Monday. Thanks for joining us on the College Football Daily uh, I'm your pitch hitter, uh, Brandon Marcello, uh, stepping in for Trey Scott today. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined by Chris Hummer, a frequent uh, collaborator and guest here uh, on the College Football Daily. Um, yet another week in the books in college football, thank goodness. Um, we are now in week 13, believe it or not, of the college football season as we deal with this rising pandemic. But this past weekend, Chris, um, you wrote about this and, and I wrote about it too. And I think a lot of people would agree with this. It's pretty clear who the top four teams are right now, as we go into the first release of the college football playoff rankings this Tuesday. But I would say all four of those teams kind of have some glaring weaknesses that make you wonder, can they maybe get knocked off near the end of this season or, at the very least, when we get into the playoff, maybe there's not really a clear favorite to win the national championship. Yeah, it's it's really it's really compelling. I think for a long time, maybe outside of Notre Dame joining that group, we've had a pretty clear idea of who the top three teams in college football are. It was Alabama, it was Clemson, and it was Ohio State entering this season. But I think we kind of expected an unpredictable season in the sense that COVID was kind of rampaging through the sport. People were opting out and maybe something crazy would happen. That hasn't really occurred to this point. We have seen some upsets, but not among that kind of elite group. I think what we have seen though, is a few weaknesses among that kind of tier, including Notre Dame at this point that kind of make you question that team's ability to kind of push on through. We can hit on them one by one if you want, but like, I think Ohio state's a perfect example on Saturday afternoon. Indiana's a really good team. I don't know if they were a top 10 team in the country entering this week. It's really hard to tell with such a small sample size in the big 10, but Michael Penix is legit. That Indiana offense is legit, but for that defense, which has long been known as kind of DBU, at least the modern DBU, in college football to gave up 400 plus passing yards really makes you question Ohio state's ability to kind of hold up against some of the elite defenses in college football. And I think and it's, it's just really weird to see um, Ohio state still play one safety high this entire time, despite maybe not having the personnel to do it as much this year, but yeah. college coaches are stubborn. But besides <laughs> the fact, like that's just kind of what we're seeing. And we see Clemson with some weaknesses that we might get to Alabama, maybe not to that extent, the same way. And so is Notre Dame. And it's just, it's a really compelling year from that perspective. Yeah. You know, you look at Alabama, they seem to be trending toward improvement week to week, but I do wonder about the level of competition. I mean, they just blew out a Kentucky team 63 to three and that Kentucky team was obviously dealing with some COVID issues of their own and, but decided to go ahead and play that game um, overmatch completely. But as we've seen in the past with Alabama, maybe their defense isn't as good as we had hoped and believed going into the year. But 
they have certainly approved over these last three games. You talk about Notre Dame. Personally, I kind of think that their weakness is their just inconsistency potentially at quarterback with Ian Book, though he certainly showed himself to be elite and a game winner in that Clemson game. He's the reason why they won that game. He was impressive late in that that one. Um, but um, you mentioned Ohio State. I mean, goodness gracious, Michael Penix <laughs> being part of an incredible offense. Gave, I mean, they threw for almost 500 yards against Ohio State, as you mentioned. And there's the other thing that kind of worried me about the Buckeyes, uh, at least early, was they were turning over the ball. Justin Fields was throwing interceptions for the first time uh, this season, and it kind of made you wonder, like, man, if they were facing a Clemson right now like they did last year, they would be making them pay at this moment. And instead, Indiana's offense struggled a little bit to finish drives, and Ohio State built a big lead, and then Indiana had to kind of like crawl back into it and made a game of it in those final minutes. Yeah, I don't want to pick on the Buckeyes, which is fresh in my mind because that's the game I watched most. Well, it was of the Saturday. biggest game of the week. Yeah, yeah, but like you could also point to Ohio State's lack of a pass rush. Like I think last yeah. year with Chase Young, we kind of looked, and obviously that program has produced defensive end after defensive end. But this year, that unit is not as good. I think they rank seventy first nationally in sacks right now they're just not getting pressure at the level they have in the past that running game is clearly a step worse than it was last year with jk dobbins i know master t had a really big game on saturday yeah yeah but like you could just tell watching him he's not as explosive as jk dobbins he's not as elusive in the open field and you'd say the same thing about trey sermon and you kind of combine that question with the secondary like ohio state has some major questions i mean notre dame you mentioned ian book you could point to a group of wide receivers that hasn't really consistently right. shown the ability to separate. You could point to a secondary, especially at cornerback. And that I think if you go back and watch that Cotton Bowl, which um, Notre Dame lost to Clemson, cornerback was a huge issue for them. They were getting beat deep consistently by those Clemson wide receivers. And it's, it's largely been covered up this year. But there have been some flashes of Notre Dame struggling on the outside at cornerback, and that's an issue. I think Alabama's, Alabama's a little less than the other three. Like, you do certainly still have some questions about that defense after that really slow start, but you kind of believe in that talent. But even the Crimson Tide on that side of the ball have some big question marks. And, like, there's just more than we kind of expect to see at this time of the year for our big contenders. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And as you said, a lot of this probably has to just deal with the pandemic. No spring practices for most of these programs and obviously dealing with stuff in the preseason about whether we're going to have a season, when the season's going to start, and then players obviously dealing with that and just trying to get ready for the year. It's, you know, it's, it's a weird, weird season and it's directly affected even the elite teams. They just, they, they look elite, but at times you also go, wow, that team could be beaten uh, maybe on any Saturday. And, and sure enough, you know, we've seen it with Clemson and we almost saw it with Ohio state. I thought I, I the way Indiana was coming back in that game, I just thought it was going to slip completely out of their hands. Didn't happen, but you look across college football, the, the teams that are just really disappointing, Penn State 0-5 for the first time in history. It just feels like when they lost that game at the beginning of the season for them against Indiana, uh, things just kind of fell apart, and I don't think there's any coming back from that. Which brings me to my next topic. Do you think it's possible? I mean, we're seeing a rise of COVID-19 cases across the country, and obviously that's that filters down to the sport because, hey, we're all human. We're all in the same communities. And 
We saw a record number of games postponed and canceled this past week. I believe we got up to 18 um, a week after having 15 games postponed or canceled. Uh, we're going into rivalry week uh, for the Pac-12 and the SEC this week. And uh, it's Thanksgiving week. Some players are going to be allowed to kind of go maybe to a nearby home, not necessarily out of state, but go do Thanksgiving and everything before their games. And you have to wonder, one, how we're going to see this season finish here in the next few weeks. But, but two, what about the teams like a Penn State? Um, where their own five, they've got nothing to really play for except for pride. And if you get a bad enough issue, an outbreak of COVID-19 cases on your team, do you just pack it in and call it a season maybe two weeks earlier uh, than the end of the year? I think that's something we're going to be talking about here over these next two to three weeks. Yeah, no question. And uh, kind of speaking of COVID cancellations, uh, the Apple Cup is now off uh, with Washington and Washington State being called off uh, this weekend, according to the Pac-12. And we're already a week out. And I fully expect this to be another week of double-digit cancellations uh, due to COVID. Um, I had talked to a coach the other day that was for a team that isn't really in contention anymore. They're really just kind of hoping to op- hop, like kind of limp over the finish line right now. Like it's harder to keep their kids engaged. It's harder to keep their kids like focused on protocol. There's so much else going on, as you mentioned with the holidays, like for teams that aren't in contention, like it's going to be very difficult. And I I think opting out is a a reality. We've seen it plenty the last couple of weeks in college football, star players like Paris Ford at Pittsburgh, Kylan Hill at Mississippi state on teams that have had disappointing seasons, just choosing to sit out the rest of the season, South Carolina, I feel like lost their entire uh, starting defensive unit when Bill Muschamp was fired. Like we see it all the time in bowls. And I really think it's just the reality of the situation right now. A lot of kids might play, but like, you're certainly going to see more opt outs. And like, I think even if you have a somewhat questionable injury, you're just not going to finish the season. I think Pat Fryermuth, I don't want to speak to how severe sure, an injury yeah. is. I don't know, but maybe in a different year, if Penn State was a contention, he doesn't shut it down uh, right now. Like I just, I think that's where we're at. And I think everybody in college football is just trying to kind of, finish the marathon uh they might have to they might have to hobble in but they're trying to get over the line the college football daily will be right back and we enter this week of this this rivalry week where i'm trying to look for some big games to really just kind of get excited for um i'm excited being able to watch any football games i mean i'm staying up till two or three in the morning watch watching them and as you mentioned as we were recording this podcast on a sunday evening the apple cup was just canceled and declared a no contest and it makes you wonder for other rivalry games you know the iron bowl but also the egg bowl between Ole Miss and Mississippi State two teams not really playing for anything but Mississippi State they played with under the SEC threshold of 53 scholarship players at Georgia and yet only lost by a touchdown at Georgia this past week. That game obviously will be in danger just because of the numbers that Mississippi State's dealing with at this point. I do wonder the role of these Power Five conferences telling teams, hey, listen, let's try to play as uh, you know each week as we can, even if you're not playing for anything, because one, we need the TV money and we need to keep yep. these going. And secondly, if you have the numbers and you feel comfortable being able to play, let's do it. Let's not just pack it in because 
you know, it just seems like the easy thing to do. But man, these are going to be some trying times over these next few weeks, as we as we mentioned. Um, you know, listen, Chris, I want to talk. You know, playoff rankings are going to be coming out Tuesday. I don't think the top four is going to be any question. I do wonder this though: Does the committee have the guts? I want to say the guts, but do they make a wild? Uh, unexpected move in the top eight do we see like a cincinnati or byu somehow make it into the top six over a florida or a texas a&m i really don't i'm actually working on playoff projections uh right now and i i don't think there's a chance so from a history like obviously the committee takes every season on its own like they are mutually exclusive products but in kind of the history of the committee's rankings, the highest a team from the group of five has debuted in the rankings is number 12. And that was UCF in 2018. I believe that UCF team at the time was riding a 27 game win streak and was beating teams by an average of like 27.8 points per game. That group was really dominant and they still started 12th. So this year's a little weird, but I would still be very surprised to see Cincinnati or BYU in the top eight. I think if you're looking for a surprise, it would not shock me if Northwestern slotted ahead of the two kind of one loss SEC teams that we talk about. Um, Northwestern's played one fewer game than Texas A&M, which sounds weird, but it's the case. The Aggies have been devastated by COVID-19 cancelizations and Florida's only played two more than Northwestern. I think you could argue Northwestern has more quality wins than either one of those wins over Iowa, Purdue, and Maryland, as odd as that is to say, in addition to Wisconsin. And I just think there's, I I don't think it's likely, but if we're looking for a shocking pick, Northwestern kind of starting in the top five would kind of be where I'd point at. But I would certainly expect Cincinnati and BYU to end up somewhere like 10th or 11th kind of in the ratings initially. And I'll throw this out there. And hey, this might happen by the time everybody listens to this because everything changes moment to moment. The the Apple Cup was just canceled, as we mentioned, because of Wazoo's COVID-19 issues. BYU sitting out there. Washington's sitting out there. The Pac-12 is now allowing Pac-12 teams to schedule non-conference games if they have a game canceled before Monday, the end of the day, Monday. BYU, man, you should be ringing up Washington right now, shouldn't you? Yeah, make it happen. I, I think I think COVID-19 testing protocols across conferences, and you've reported on a lot of this, like this offseason, makes that a little more difficult than it sounds like. It's, not a ma- it's just not just a matter of the ADs calling each other up and saying, like, you up and making this happen. But I think if you're BYU, you're very motivated to get Washington on the schedule because they're in desperate need of a quality power five victory to kind of bolster that schedule and to really make a statement. And I think Jimmy Lake and Washington have to be rather motivated to play as well, given how little kind of an opportunity they've had this season. And certainly, and they're playing very well here early in the year after their first two games. It certainly sounds like an opportunity there. Remember the PAC 12 rules. However, as you mentioned, the opposing team, which would be BYU would have to follow every PAC 12 protocol, which includes the, daily testing, the antigen testing, the PCR testing that they're dealing with. And they would have to figure out a way to get that in place immediately for this game if they were to try to play this Saturday. But um, with this game being called on a Sunday, it gives them about 24 hours to maybe work something out. And BYU is certainly interested in playing. I know that. 
Yeah, and it's, it's, it's like a really expensive proposition to essentially test daily for a week and to kind of institute those things. Right. In addition to traveling, you're going to have to travel uh, to Seattle to make that happen, which is a whole nother kind of hurdle in a week and given our current conditions. It's uh, it's a weird time. We'll see if anything happens or if that's just uh, going to be hot air and things to debate for another for another day or so. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us here on the College Football Daily. Everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure and give us a five-star rating. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. I've been Brendan Marcello filling in. We'll catch you next time.